0: Welcome to the Big Unlock podcast, your leading source of info for insights and best practices in digital health and digital transformation. Join host Paddy Padmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and co-author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how technology, consumerism, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with leading practitioners of healthcare and technology.
1: Hello again, and welcome back to this episode of the Big Unlock podcast. My special guest today is Dr. Ashish Barad, clinical lead for digital health at Baylor Scott & White in Texas. Baylor Scott & White has developed a fantastic mobile app that is considered best in class, and is very highly rated as a consumer facing app in healthcare. Uh, Ashish talks about the app and he talks about a number of other things that they're doing in order to drive an increased focus on understanding consumers and how that has really been the driving force for the Digital Health Program at uh, Baylor Scott & White. So let's get started. And before we get into the conversation, I want to take a minute to acknowledge our generous sponsors for the podcast, Be Well. I am here today with uh, Dr. Ashish Bharad, is the Clinical Lead for Digital Health at Baylor Scott & White in Texas. Ashish, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Patty. Longtime listener. Very excited <laughs> to be on the podcast finally. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Well, just for the benefit of our listeners, why don't you tell us just a little bit about Baylor Scott & White and your role in the organization?
0: I'd love to, Patty. So it's, it's a funny thing being in a state as large as Texas because you can essentially be a very large system in Texas and only be in Texas. And so we're the largest not-for-profit healthcare system in Texas. We service 46 counties in Texas. We have 52 hospitals and we're completely integrated delivery network, you know, obviously inpatient, outpatient, all types of physicians. We actually have roughly 7,300 physicians in our system. We have 49,000 employees. So large healthcare, nonprofit healthcare system in the state of Texas. I have been with Baylor Scott and White now going on 11 years. And I came in and I still practice as a pediatric gastroenterologist. And I've had this role that you mentioned as a clinical lead of digital health for the last two years.
1: You've been with the digital health program for a while, and you've seen a number of things evolve during your time. And you've been very much a part of the evolution of the digital health program at Baylor Scott & White as well. So could you give us a broad overview of the digital health capabilities that you've implemented at Baylor Scott & White over the last couple of years? Sure. Happy to, Patty. Thank you. So, you know, I think Baylor Scott & White can absolutely
0: say that we were early in the digital health game for incumbents, right? And so we've had a uh, digital front door, you know, it's an overused term today, but we've had one really since 2016, 2017, that has been a separate front door than a chart. Like, we are an epic shop. So I guess I'll first answer that by saying, talking about the vision that our digital studio has, which is absolutely to be the most desired consumer-centric partner for people's well-being. So I think that's an important vision that we base our decisions and what we are going to really roll out and, and products uh, that we roll out that, that come out of that. So we absolutely want and uh, think of ourselves as a very consumer-centric organization and And really, from the top down, from the board, CEO, all the way down, it's really a major part of who we are. And so the digital health office obviously plays a major role in that vision. And so I think of the. Uh, features and capabilities uh, really focused on on five uh, strategies, which, as I mentioned already, is our digital front door. And so we want to really have unprecedented convenience, personalization and accessibility. So certainly that involves a big CRM tech stack and really driving consumer engagement with the right message at the right time. We really look at innovative products that with the guise of getting us closer to the consumer, you know, I think that we have something that the disruptors don't necessarily have, which is brand permission, right? And so I think the incumbents still have this permission because of our brand to become closer to our consumers as of now, as of now. and we need to capitalize on that. One line that we like to say internally and half chess is, you know, we want to build Netflix here. We don't want to just make blockbuster lines faster. So not, not being iterative in what we're building, but really thinking differently in our products. And then, you know, a few others that I'll just uh, rattle off here, which is just looking at systems of intelligence. So looking at data and engagement and, and, you know, Epic, again, our EHR is our system of record. That's been, you know, you've heard that term over and over again. So we're really creating the system of intelligence and then a system of engagement on top of that. So looking at other products and partners that can really uh, envelop the EMR to really get closer to the consumer. Automation. And then lastly, we'll call it a digital practice, which is certainly another term that gets used a lot today, which is building a platform, right? And building a platform that really lets us orchestrate care. We like that word uh, quite a bit. I think the new normal is, you know, there's certainly providing care, but because of all these partners that are in the ecosystem and and disruptors, and just like you see in big tech, is that we are turning from providing everything to everyone to really orchestrating the journey. And so we wanna put that together as your trusted
1: partner. It's quite a bit, and I'm gonna unpack some of that as a part of this conversation, but let me start with the mobile app. Firstly, I wanna say it's refreshing to hear how many times you use the word consumer, healthcare is not necessarily known as a consumer-focused industry. And all the terms that you use, the systems of engagement, the orchestration layers, you know, orchestrating the experience. Some of the things that you imply they're very, very consumer-oriented, which is kind of refreshing. Hearing it from a health system, we're all used to it from other sectors in mean, e-commerce and personal banking and securities and so on. Healthcare is still catching up to it, and you're certainly at the forefront not least because of the fact that your mobile app is kind of rated very highly unusual for a health system to have a mobile app that is rated so highly. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of the app and what does it do today for your consumers? Thank you, Patty. And thank you for calling that out. I think it's really important
0: to who we are, the consumerism aspect of things. And as a physician, especially, I will just want to say one comment on that. You know, when I talk to my physicians and we say consumer, there's a little bit of a a cringe or, you know, a little bit of this kind of negativity there. And I just remind them that consumer really, the definition I have around it is patient plus the context of who that individual is outside of their healthcare or sick care. So really taking in the whole individual into play when you're taking care of them. And I think once you really kind of level set our physicians to say consumer really is still the concept of patient, But really taking in who they are as an individual, uh, I think that seems to resonate. But thank you for the app. Absolutely. We're very, very proud of our mobile app. And as you said, it is very highly rated. I think that the genesis of it comes from another term that's used quite a bit today, but in healthcare systems has not been around for long, which is Agile, And so we really came together and and made a decision to say, we need to be more agile and and in product development, again, in tech that's been used for a long time, but really our app was a very kind of agile methodology to get to where it is. So it went through five versions and 40 subversions to really get to, to where it is today and a lot of stakeholder involvement. But I like to say that it was a platform before platforms was cool. And I would absolutely give credit to our chief digital officer, Nick Reddy, who had this idea that, you know, our brand is important and we need to unload our digital front door from our EMR. But I think if that definition alone or that logic alone would have been easy to just say we're going to white label something that's off the shelf. And so but I, I think he had a bigger vision of being able to really, truly have a platform that was able to be customized to a personal experience for all of our members. And so this was it's something that you can use for our whole integrated delivery network which includes a lot of joint ventures and a lot of, of specialists and hospitals that are our are not in our medical group per se. So they don't have an epic my chart, let's say. So how do we then really take in a full consumer experience of all of our consumers in every part of their journey, whether they're in and out of our own medical group, and really creating an app was the our own app and integrating the EMR MyChart into it was really the only way that we were able to do that. And so it's a fantastic app because it does let you sign up without having ever been walked into to any of our clinics and right. to be able to consume care.
1: So over the last couple of years, of course, we've gone through this you know, significant shift in the marketplace. Everything has gone virtual, digital. And based on your experience with the app, what can you tell us about how consumer preferences have changed and how has uh, Baylor-Scott White responded you're already further ahead in your digital journey relative to other health systems. What did the pandemic tell you and what changes have you made since then? it's a great question, Patty. And I think that one, a couple of words come
0: to mind. And one is guidance, is that users, consumers, they want to know you know, do I need a doctor? When do I need a doctor? Where do I go? Who do I see? And I think these simple questions lead them to, as you know, Google and other websites and not necessarily their healthcare system. And so we've learned that consumers really want that from the doctors and systems they know and trust. So they're looking for guidance, and we see it as our mission to provide that guidance in a very easy, frictionless way. And then once they know, once we guide them, they also want choice, right, with price transparency and a lot more cost sharing, as we know. And a big reason why healthcare is moving over to look a little bit more like retail is that they also want choice and so they expect choice the same as they're expecting in retail for where to go to consume care.
1: Yeah, so let's look at now the mobile app, of course, the digital front door, you've created a best-in-class application, or You kind of set the benchmark within healthcare enterprises. Looking into 2022, what are your big investment priorities? What are you focusing on this year? Sure. I think that moving into the orchestration of
0: care space, I think that scale matters. So I think growth and using our digital and virtual tools to really grow as a system and really move to markets that we may not have a physical footprint in, if you will. So I think that you'll see a lot of digital and virtual tools that allows us to grow. And I think you're seeing that with a lot of large healthcare systems today.
1: What would be an example of that? Going beyond your current footprint, using your sure. digital virtual tool, what, sure. you give us an example.
0: No, happy to. So I think that virtual primary care, right? We see a lot of people moving into virtual primary care. Is a virtual first primary care product, if you will, allows us to get into you know maybe markets and geographies that are not necessarily where we have a physical footprint. So that's an example. I think other examples is as we uh, have a lot of talk about home now, we're really leaning this year into home. And, you know, that that's a broad definition. If you think of home and hospital at home would fit in, but I mean more so, and I, and we are doing that by the way, but even convenience, home convenience. So I think, you know, vaccines at home, labs at home, I think you will see some home convenience products that, will, that we will roll out. But and I think the other thing is really creating, again, a retail-like experience for all of our consumers, again, whether you're in our physical geography or not, but I would even call it an ecosystem connector, right? And so if you've done genetics through 23andMe, and if you are an avid Peloton rider, you have these other retail-grade experiences that, that are part of your health, though, your wellness, that we want to know you. And I think, again, you asked me earlier, what do people expect now? They want their health systems, their doctors to know them, all of them and who they are. And again, other things that they're doing regarding wellness. So we're also working on connecting to their whole world if
1: they allow permission
0: for us to do that.
1: So obviously you've had a lot of success, more than most other health systems in enabling digital modalities and really thinking more futuristically and really strategically about where you could take it to the next level. Let's talk about what kind of challenges you've had to address along the way. Are there tech challenges? Are the data challenges? Are there integration challenges? You know, internal culture? Talk to us about at least a couple of the big ones that you've had to work through in the last couple of years. Yeah, this is this is great. And Patty,
0: I think I've heard you say many, many times that it's 10% tech, 90% people. Right. And so I think you're absolutely right when you say that. And so I think the tech isn't terribly hard. Now, the caveat to that is that we are in a shortage, a staffing shortage, you know, on the nursing yeah. side, and the clinical side, but we're absolutely also, it's a hard time to find talent on the tech side as well, right? And so, so that is the caveat to the tech is easy. It is actually difficult to really find the data people, the engineers and designers, all that to really create this wonderful team. So that is a challenge today uh, that we didn't have as much uh, a few years ago. That being said, I'm a physician, so let's be honest, you know, we doctors don't really move at speed with new technology. So really working on the physician side of the house and getting things to really move at scale, that's why my position exists, right? And so I think one thing that as other health systems really look at this, I do think it's important to find a physician champion that really understands both sides of the equation to really move a lot of these uh, digital tools and become scalable and operationalized, if you will. But yeah, I think the, you know, and then the other thing that I'll say is that's a major challenge is legacy healthcare systems have had this uh, culture of vote by veto. And what I mean by that is, you know, typically you have one stakeholder that just says, no, we can't do that and the whole thing fails. And And I think that that's another challenge that we've seen. And so we are really working hard to change the culture as such to say, yes and, you know, versus no, and then really letting something
1: fail. Let's take a quick break. And I would like to acknowledge our partners and sponsors, Be Well. And if you like this podcast, rate us on whatever favorite podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're interested in listening to the archives, visit us at thebigunlock.com. With that, back to the conversation. You mentioned the worker shortage, and I just wrote a piece about this on how the, the worker shortage has become a new forcing function in healthcare. And pandemic was a forcing function two years ago. This year, the number one challenge and a forcing function is the worker shortage at all levels in healthcare. And indeed, across the economy, you go to your restaurant, you go to your supermarket, you know, that, you know, you can see that they're understaffed. In that context, uh, technology becomes very, very important, but then putting in the Absolutely. technology means a lot of culture change, process change and so on. So again, more to come on that, but uh, certainly the culture aspect of it is very important. But I just want to ask one follow up question on that. You made a lot of investments in technology and you talk about the orchestration and you talk about the consumer experience and so on. Today, the technology landscape is abundant, but also fragmented. So you have to take a lot of different technology. You mentioned Epic, which is your core system, but then you have to layer on other stuff on top of it, including your homegrown mobile app. How do you make all that stuff work together? You know, How do you create a seamless experience for your clients, not make it suboptimal for everybody?
0: Patty, it's what we wrestle with every day. And so it takes a, a large team, I won't lie; it takes a lot of resources to really do it, especially that, like you said, our app is homegrown, our video visit is uh, platform is homegrown. So we have done a lot of homegrown investments here at Baylor Scott and White, and again, so that with that comes a very talented team. So we're we're really just blessed to have this exceptional team that really is dedicated resources to digital health. At Baylor Scott and Wine. so where they have may have one leg in IT, they are a dedicated resource, and so you know whether that's engineers and design teams and what have you is is there's just people that are very passionate about healthcare. I think Batty just a little side note on that is to say that I don't think in healthcare that we always sell ourselves really well to the. Outside world as far as our mission, I think that if you if I talk to these you know designers and engineers every day, and you go talk to them, they have the same passion for healthcare that I do as a doctor taking care of my patients. You know, and once they are invested and once they're in and really realize that the work they're doing is improving healthcare and health outcomes. I tell you, it's really glorious to see them really, again, like I said, have the same passion that you'll see in the physician side of the house. And I think that they find a lot of value in in being in healthcare versus other industries. So I think the other aspect of that is that we really try to spend a lot of time on that internal culture within the digital health office to really be able to see the outcomes of, of their products.
1: And you make such an important point, point. and I've worked in healthcare for a while, and if there's one thing that that I can say I've observed consistently across every healthcare organization I've worked with is the sense of mission and purpose that everyone has. It's not the money. You know, if it was a money, people would have left a long time ago. So that is, I think, a very important thing, and I want to thank you for bringing that up because, yes, you're right. Healthcare doesn't talk so much about its mission-oriented approach, it's kind of you do it because that's what you're there to do. But the outside world perhaps doesn't appreciate it as much and sometimes it's nice to gently remind them that there is a sense of mission and purpose behind everything that you do. So thank you for bringing that up. I want to switch topics here. You mentioned data a couple of times and how you're using data to drive experiences to understand your consumers and uh, so on. Talk to us a little bit about the data and analytics program at Bayless Cotton and White. And in that context, I also know that you recently became members of the uh, Truetta Consortium, which is a consortium of a, for our listeners, a consortium of a number of health systems that have gotten together to pool their data assets to drive insights that can collectively improve uh, healthcare outcomes. So can you talk to us a little bit about both of those? Happy to. So no, thank you for bringing up Truveta in particular. As
0: you as you said, it's a consortium, and I, I can't keep up. They're adding health systems, well, I think every month now, which has been wonderful because, as you know, you know there's data and there's big data. I think they're up to sixteen percent of all U.S. healthcare data, which is certainly a, a large percentage of it. So you know, talking about data, you know, everybody certainly another term that gets thrown around a lot is personalized care. And but I think you know to get to that end of the spectrum where we can get to a level of predicting people's outcomes and but not just predicting, but also being prescriptive in their care. So, you know, I love I love to give the example of a particular patient. If I'm in the office and I could actually go in and say, you know, it looks like in a year's time you have a 40% chance of developing diabetes. But take it one step further? Because I think that doesn't do it justice. If I left the conversation there, that would not leave a person that really felt happy about walking up that door. But if I could then take it a step further and say, but if you do these three things, then you can reduce that risk by 50%. You know, So how do we get really to that place in healthcare where we have to get to And I think that I certainly don't think Truveta alone will solve for everything, but having that big data and being able to utilize uh, 16% of the US healthcare data, it's one thing that it brings that I think is different, which is diversity of data. You know, and I think that that's an important point. We talk a lot about big, big data, and it is big data, but data also needs to be diverse. So just take it to a research setting for a second. And one stat that really appalled me when I saw it, which is... Only 3% of research data, Patty, is comprised of Hispanic and African-American patients, less than 3%. So we make so many decisions on incomplete data that does not represent the patient that's sitting in front of us. So to get to a point where you can actually personalize care, to then say, if I am a Filipino 50-year-old lady with breast cancer, and I can really say that... (laughs) A thousand patients, just like you, underwent this therapy and had the best success and is now in remission. I think that's a lot more powerful than what I studied that maybe had 95% Caucasian, you know, women that were 30 in it. So I think Truveda really does allow us to get to that level of care because of the diversity of data that it has.
1: It's interesting you mentioned that one of my recent guests on this podcast. the folks from Epic who run the Cosmos data set, which is very similar to what Triveda is trying to build, you know, 130 million patients, and Triveda is 16%, and I don't want to do the math, but it's getting up there. So one of the things that has always bothered me a little bit as an outsider looking in is the balkanization of the data landscape in this country, right? The data is sitting with different people. They're all trying to do the same thing, but they're not doing it at scale, and again, for me, one vision of utopia is where all of this data comes together as one consolidated data set. It doesn't have to sit in one consolidated repository, but at least access to it is granted in some way that allows everybody to do the kind of things that you talked about. Because quite frankly, it's not happening and it's hurting caregivers, it's hurting the healthcare economy, and it's hurting healthcare consumers. But anyway, that's a topic for another discussion. Oh, but it's, a, it's a big it efficiency padding. You're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> And, but, you know, it's good to see that this, these initiatives are getting underway and hopefully at some point they will all come together so that collectively we can move society forward. So let me talk about startups. A lot of the stuff that you do involves innovative solutions that have been put together by startups. Now, we know that startups can be very innovative. They, they look at things from a very fresh perspective, but they also come with risks. How have you gone about identifying digital health startups to work with and what is the process you follow and what is the message you have for startup founders listening to this podcast saying, how do I get through to Bayless Cotton White and be a part of their journey?
0: And that is, this is another great question, because, you know, I get a, I get pained quite a bit from startups looking for a, a door in. And so it's a wonderful call out. So one is I've heard this on your podcast as well as, you know, our systems are slow. And so that's one thing that the, the cycle at which we do things is a lot slower. And so it is, is, I would imagine that it's very frustrating. I think that one thing that I, I was speaking to a CEO of a startup recently, and I asked him this question as well. I said, how, what can we do better for you? Just curious. And, you know, one thing he said that was really enlightening for me was, he said this for his perspective, we spend a lot of time guessing what you want us to solve for. And you know, and a lot of money and our resources and time. And really, if there was just more transparency and clarity to solving the pain point that you have identified, and really letting us know that, then we could really put our time and resources in the right place. And so, I think, just if anyone's listening on the incumbent healthcare side of this, I think that was a learning lesson for me, and I've learned that, and I've used that, and I'm actually. I think it's worked out very well to make sure that that end product, as we iterate and come together, is really solving the problem that we've both agreed upon. That being said, it is tough it's a really tough, tough atmosphere for startups, I think, because I really think of different healthcare systems as different countries and they have their own culture and things just run very differently. So I don't think any one startup can go to Intermountain and say, I'm going to use the same technique and same product and same, I'm going to solve the same pain point for Bailish.ny and and it'll scale just the same as it may have done, let's say, at Intermountain. So I think really just taking some time to learn the strategy, uh, the KPIs, the system KPIs of that particular healthcare system. Also looking at the ecosystem in which it lives. Is it living in value-based care? Is it living still in the fee-for-service world? And Because as you well know, what we're solving for are, are sometimes different as we really learn. So taking some time to just learn and understand what the ecosystem of that system is, I, I think can go from.
1: I have several startup founders on my podcast because I want to hear their side of the story. And someone recently told me that the biggest challenge for them is surviving the sales cycles in healthcare. Now, if you have a limited amount of funding from venture capitalists, and even though there's a 30 billion went into venture capital for digital health startups last year, it's still when you kind of distribute it across 5,000 or so startups, you know, it's not a lot of money and you can run out of it pretty quickly just waiting for a health system to make a decision. It's one of the biggest risks for the survival of, of a startup. And many, as a result, many startups today are operating at subscale and uh, they're either consolidating in order to remain in business right. or selling out or just closing down. And so I think there's a, there's a real risk here that will eventually land on the doorsteps of health systems as well. Because if the startup, the innovative startup that you signed up with Runs out of money and is forced to close down. Where does that leave you?
0: I'm right there with you, and I I think the, the startup I would also suggest. You know, one one tip is. I would identify a business owner as well, you know. So going into the going into the healthcare system, you can certainly just have an individual that you're chatting with and really talking to and saying, okay, we want to do an NDA and we want to try a use case and you know do a point solution. But as you really want to scale, I have absolutely learned the importance of identifying a business owner that's truly passionate about the problem that you are solving for, because there is nothing more powerful in a health system than someone who's gonna take that and run with that torch and go around and really sell it for you. Because it's just such a large system that if you try to be that person within the system, oftentimes it just doesn't
1: get the message across. That is really, really valuable advice. And I'm sure that the startup founders listening to this are gonna take that to heart. So switching gears, uh, we're coming up to the end of our time, but I want to hit on a couple of topics. How do you keep score of how well you're doing in digital? What are the one or two metrics that you track? Sure. So,
0: you know, we really believe the future is digital, right? I mean, we know where consumers are going, and we certainly know that they're the digitally native. Yeah, consumers are going to be the largest part of the workforce going forward. And so one metric, for example, is we're tracking how many consumers are interacting with us, excuse me, more digitally than even in person, you know, through phone calls or coming in person. So virtual video visits and just the care journeys and care navigation tools and what have you. So we're, we're very much tracking that. And and I've mentioned before growth, right? And so, but growth through digital channels. So we're actually we're calling it digital first growth. And so did you actually interact with Baylor Scott and White through a digital mechanism first? And then does that then on the back end, it's our job to then engage you in a personalized way to then navigate you to the right care. So then are we not just digitally engaging with you once, but actually turning that into a sustained relationship?
1: That's really good to hear. And uh, I'll tell you, you know, when I talk to other health systems who have launched digital health programs, one of the big challenges is getting people to adopt and really having the right KPIs to measure. And the one thing you mentioned, which really resonated with me, is the first port of call, is it a digital modality or is it one of your traditional modalities? And that there, right there tells you whether your programs are succeeding or not, Right. So... To round out, this has been a fascinating conversation. Just to round this out, if there are one or two best practices or learnings uh, that you would like to share with your peers who may be listening to this podcast, what would they be?
0: Yeah, great question, Patty. Thank you, and thank you again for having me. Before I, I sign off with my advice, just internally here at Baylor and White, but I think that. One of the books that we have to read, this is our chief digital officer uh, asked us to read before we we sign on, is Who Says Elef- Elephants Can't Dance, right? It's the IBM story, right? And so-
1: Yeah, Lou uh, Gersner. Yeah. That's right. How, exactly. how Lou Gersner turned around- uh, IBM in the 90s, yeah, yeah. And so being being agile and, and truly,
0: truly taking on agile in the right way, right? We know that agile can be masquerading as waterfall many times and truly then spending time to, to be agile. And we have really changed our culture internally, all levels, all stakeholders to really take on agile. The other piece of advice I have is it is absolutely time for us to go from supply-driven company to demand-driven. And we need to spend time and resources on the voice of the consumer. And so we need to learn what the demand is and where the demand is and what do the consumers need and want. And the other part of that is we think we know. We think we know the pain points. And I think maybe that's part of the paternalism in healthcare. And We think we know what our patients want and what our patients' pain points are. And that is not true. We have learned as we go out and really spend time and resources on the voice of the consumers, that oftentimes what they want and what they need and what pain points they're having is very different from what we assume. So my other piece of advice is really spend those resources, spend that time to learn truly the voice of the consumer because we're never gonna to get to retail level care and experiences if we don't spend that energy and time there.
1: And that is so refreshing right. to hear. Again, running this off on, on a note of consumerism and consumer focus, Ashish, It's been fantastic having you on this uh, podcast. Thank you so much for setting aside the time and we look forward to following your uh, progress and all the very best to you. I
0: appreciate it, Patty. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Once again, I'd like to thank our partners, BeWell, for their sponsorship and their support.
0: We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at thebigunlocked.com with your feedback and questions.